Welcome, everyone, to another installment of the BC Counselor's Legal Brief, the legal podcast that provides easy-to-understand information about estate and business planning to help you, your family, and your business. And now, the jovial gents of jurisprudence, Mike Betts and Spencer Chaffin. Welcome, everybody, to another installment of the BC Counselor's Legal Brief. I am Spencer Chafin, as always, and I'm joined here by my Lumberjack colleague, Mike Betts. It's good to be here, Spencer. Thank you. I'm digging the flannel. It's Christmas time, everybody. So Mike pulled out the flannel. It's very Christmassy. He looks like he should be walking around with an axe, going to go cut down his Christmas tree. He's not going to go to a lot and buy one. He's going to get his own because he's a man. That's what we do in Oklahoma. Yeah, because there's nothing else to do in Oklahoma. No, no. Except drill oil wells. (laughs) I mean, if I can find, except my Christmas tree is going to be a cedar. Ooh. I was going to say, you got to go different. You got to be different. Uh, When you got millions of cedar just growing like weeds, you do what you got to do. But Spencer did give me a great compliment. So did Pierre. They noticed that my beard is particularly thick today. It's looking good. You like it? I do. I wish I could have a beard like that. Pierre gave me a thumbs up. You know, I'm a little disappointed in Pierre. It looks like he's about to pass us off. He's tired of us. We've got a new producer in here with him. Yeah, Alex. We do. Alex laughs at our jokes. I wasn't going to say anything. Hey, say hi, Alex. Hey. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 See, Alex does exist, people. Yeah. Pierre, Pierre if you may could, or may not exist still. <laughs> Pierre, if you could just uh, step away from your chair, <laughs> let Alex jump in it. All these years of getting Pierre to talk, and he is a rock. I Pierre know. is a rock. Alex. Spencer, look what I wore today. Yeah. I, I don't know how I feel about that California shirt. I did that for Pierre. At least it's not a USC shirt. No, I don't have one of those. You'd burn it if you did, right? I mean, actually, I did consider buying one (laughs) for Pierre, but I just, I was like, I can't, I can't do that. Although USC is doing amazing with all OU's athletes. Right, and former coaches. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine that. Uh, Yeah, I'm glad that USC could find some success. It just proves that the Pac-12 is trash. And it's really the Big 12 is better than Pac-12. It just took them having to steal all of our players and coaches. Are you going to go to the Big 12 championship? Can't. So got a Christmas party to go to in the morning. Then got a birthday party to go to in the morning for my son's friend. And then we've got plans in the evening with this shady law firm that we're part of. It's yeah. like CB, CB counselors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they got their Christmas party. Yeah, yeah. So. I bet it's going to be lame. Probably. It probably is because I, I heard bet it, they like picked something stupid like a... Murder mystery dinner? Yeah. What idiot would do that? BCB counselors, yeah. BC counselors. Probably one of their partners. Yeah. Who's a nerd. Yeah, the biggest nerd. Yeah. The one who has the second best beard. Sounds about right. Nobody's seen my beard. They don't know what we're talking about. Well, so let's talk about estate planning. Yes, estate so planning. So estate planning with kids that haven't hit puberty. <laughs> How do you deal with that? <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. No, if yeah. you've got kids that have not hit puberty and you're doing your estate plan, I think a trust makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Absolutely. So Mike, when people utilize a trust, there's quite a few roles in it. You know, beneficiaries is what everybody thinks about because who's going to get our stuff? That's all they care about. That's their mindset. But... With the trust, you could have someone managing it. And obviously, if you're doing a revocable living trust while you're alive, typically you're in charge. It's your trust. It's your money. 
It's like J.G. Wentworth. It's my money. I need it now. Well, perfect. You got access to it. I don't know that some of our younger listeners... No J.G. Wentworth? <laughs> well, the good news is we've only have like maybe three listeners, and so they will know who J.G. <laughs> Wentworth we, we is. We went from galactic listeners to just three. Yeah, it was a precipitous and, 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 decline. And, and I'm going to throw this out there just to see if she ever listens to this, but even my wife doesn't listen. Oh, no. Oh, But that's probably because I talk about all this at home, and she's... No, Bianca, Bianca like trolls me about it, but she won't even troll like on a platform that would at least give us some notoriety. No, she just like really very much on the... You'll the, be sitting on the couch and she'll just jab and you. And she'll just start trolling me. And I'm like, why don't you go put that in the comments somewhere? Yeah. At least it will help our algorithms. We're going to talk about some estate planning now. Okay, so, so trusts. So we trust. got trust. So, we got a trustee. Yep. So... We'll make it a simplified trust. You got parents with three kids. Parents die. Kids may or may not be old enough to receive money because they're under the age of 18. Or we don't trust them with money at 18 because... They'll spend it all. You got it. So maybe you delay it. You put it back for an extended period of time until you feel comfortable where they can have the funds. So who do you appoint to be in charge of that money? You've got options. You can list people. You can list multiple people serving together. You could list what we call a corporate trustee. And so what does that even look like? What's their job as trustee? And so to simplify it, I always kind of equate the trustee as just being the banker. Their job's to dole out the money when the trust says so based off the trust terms. They're also in charge of managing the funds, filing tax returns, blah, 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 blah. All the typical stuff we take for granted today that we do. But the trustee is subject to that trust document. In other words, that is what bounds them. They've got a contract, the trust, a piece of paper with words on it, and they have to follow that. That's exactly right. That's their their rules. Those are their rules. And it's a good thing for both the trustee and the beneficiary for the fact of the trustee has guidance. That is their guidance of what they're supposed to do. Because if they're just given a pot of money, and says, here, take care of my kids. Well, how? Like, what am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? Things of that nature. It also prevents, like, my son from coming up and going, hey, give me money for that Ferrari. Well, that's not what I would want for my kids. So we build that in there of reasonable spending, things of that nature. So that trustee has that guidance of, do I buy the Ferrari or not? So a trustee would have the trust document, which gives them the power And they can't go beyond the powers given to them in that trust document. But in that trust document, we will give trustees discretion or the ability to make decisions, which is why a trustee is such a crucially important person. Now, I will say this. There are these special duties called fiduciary duties. And so trustees always have like this out of bounds that if you're thinking about it in sports terms, you've got an out of bounds that the trustee crosses that. It's a foul. It's a foul. It's a problem. And we'll call those on the outer bounds. Those are the fiduciary duties. And then obviously we've got the trust document that maybe the trust documents the entire court. And then the fiduciary duties are the boundaries of that court or the pitch. To kind of play off that analogy, We'll call the trustee the coach because their job is to manage everything, Mm -hmm. you know, 
clock management, things of that nature, make substitutions, what have you. So with that, their job's to dole out money when it's necessary for the children in this scenario or the beneficiary based off those terms. Now, what does it take to pick a good trustee? There's a lot of things. Look at how are they with money? Do they blow through money? Do they make wise investment decisions? Are they too frugal? Because if they're too frugal, do you want them not giving money to your children when they, you would think it would be necessary? And so you've got to worry about that. So Spencer, I'm going to change the subject, still on trustees, but just a question that I think might be helpful. What is your take on trustees and guardians? We're talking about a scenario where we have minors still. Minor They're under the age of 18. These are the hats. We've got a trustee hat. We've got a guardian hat because somebody has to take care of those kiddos. kiddos. What are your thoughts on the trustee being the same as the guardian, maybe them being different persons or entities? What are your thoughts on that? I love that question. So preferably, I love the checks and balance of having someone that is the guardian being different than the trustee. Now, that's not always the case. Some people feel comfortable, and we go through that together. They feel comfortable of the guardian and the trustee being the same. But I love the idea of the separation. I'll give you my personal example of how me and my wife set up our trust. I recommended to her how we should do it. And she said, great, because I'm the expert. You are. I am the expert. She would be an expert if she'd listened to this podcast. But anyways, so with that, what I've done is if both my wife and I are deceased, we actually have a corporate entity serving as trustee because our guardian is family. And those guardians would actually be a great trustee, but I don't want them to be trustee for a few reasons. One, checks and balance. I don't want them having full discretion on the purse strings, so to speak. Or I also don't want them feeling that that money is there for the kids, but it's their duty to raise the kids emotionally and financially. That's no. That money is there to help cover that burden, that financial burden of raising our children in this scenario. So I've seen it on both extremes where that same guardian as a trustee will either use the money inappropriately or not touch it because they feel this duty, this obligation to raising the kids as their own and financially. So the other reason I like the separation and I really like the idea of a corporate trustee is if, say, my dad and my father-in-law, who are actually involved with my estate plan, were the trustee and me and my wife were dead. And my son went up to them and said, hey, I'm 16. I'm really, really sad mom and dad are dead. But what would make me happy is that Ferrari. I can honestly picture my dad and father-in-law laughing in my son's face right now. And I I would expect them to because I would too. And them going, no, we're going to go get you that Ford Taurus because one, you're going to wreck it. And two, it's safe. And three, it's cheaper and reliable. Well, if my son gets mad at them, Is Thanksgiving going to be awkward now? Did I just ruin a relationship due to the fact of I put them in that, you know, position? My dad and father-in-law did the right thing, but my son doesn't get it because he's 16. So if I have a corporate entity that does the same thing, I would hope they wouldn't laugh in his face. But if they did, I'd kind of be like, okay, yeah, whatever. He asked for a Ferrari. He does deserve to be laughed at. Yeah. But if my son gets mad at him, well, he's not going to know that person if you saw him on the street. So there's that disconnect of the relationship. 
So Spencer, are you telling me then that you have enough money to buy Ferraris? Oh no, only if I'm dead. Oh, gotcha. I don't have the money to buy the Ferraris. I was about to say, Spencer. My kid I need some of that Ferrari money. Okay, if I'm dead, guys, Pierre and Alex, and Mike's buying Ferraris, suspect number one. Actually, Spencer, you don't realize this, but I took a fat policy on your life. Well, yeah, we got the buy-sell agreement. Yeah, guys, we have that buy-sell agreement. Business owners, remember that. Yeah, Great yeah. Great way to fund it is life insurance. So anyway, you do not have a buy-sell agreement. And you're a business partner with a third-party person. You're an idiot. Yeah. Anyways, so that's why I do like that question of guardianship being different than the trustee. Yeah. But there are times when, if the clients are comfortable with it, after we go through everything that I just went through in, in more detail, they're still comfortable with it. Great. Now, one other thing is, A lot of people are deterred from using a corporate entity because it's not someone that knows their family personally. Great. But then they get concerned of, okay, well, my trustee, are they going to have to invest my money? Are they going to have to do this and that? Technically, yes, that's their job. But people need to understand that just like you and I, Mike, have financial advisors and CPAs, that trustee can hire the same people. They can continue to use financial advisors to manage the money. And they can hire a CPA to help file the tax returns for the trust. What about expenses? I really do like corporate trustees a lot for a number of reasons. Spencer, you hit on one. I like having that non-human patsy, so to speak, that like you can make them the enemy and it doesn't hurt the personal relationships. I also like the corporate trustees because these corporate trustees we're talking about are going to be licensed entities. They're going to have capital requirements in every state that I'm aware of, but Oklahoma and Texas, for example, you have to have a certain number of assets. And so if God forbid something happens, you've got insurance policies, you've got assets to go get it. Whereas if you have, you know, uncle Steve, who maybe gets into some gambling debt or something crazy, I'm thinking of of some sort of a Netflix show. But the idea is, Uncle Steve might take that money to solve a problem and lose it. And then Uncle Steve doesn't have the capital to get it back for the family. So I do like that. But clients do ask me all the time about the expenses. And obviously, we're not corporate trustees. I would not ever pretend to tell a client in a meeting, this is what this particular bank or trust company would do. But obviously, we've done it enough that you get a general idea. Right. What are you typically seeing? in for the folks in Texas that might be listening, how expensive is it? So the majority of the corporate trustees will all have a fee schedule because people want to know, what are we paying for? What's the trust paying for after we're dead? And what's it going to cost? So it can range. So usually what I see is they do it based off a percent of assets under management. And I've seen it range, like they do it per million. So like the first million can range from three quarters of a percent to one and a half percent. And then the next million, the percent goes down and the next million just kind of goes down gradually. It's reverse of our tax brackets. Yeah, The percentage goes down. So what I always recommend to clients is if they're interested in corporate entities, I'll give them information of, you know, some that I recommend. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but it's after conversations with their trust departments and officers. And there's some that I would say that are good. Like the one that I have may not be good for someone else based off my conversation with them. I'm like, well, I'm not going to recommend them because it just doesn't fit 
what they like, which is great. So I give them multiple recommendations and I say, go through this. And if you're happy with any of them, let's go have a conversation with them. And so it is important to, important to sit down and it's important to ask those questions. And again, for our firm and ethically, my opinion ethically is attorneys are not allowed to have these types of relationships. But our firm specifically, though, we have no financial relationships with the financial advisors or the trust companies or the banks. In other words, we don't get referral fees. We don't get anything like that. So when we're giving these recommendations from our firm, and I think all firms, I'll say in a perfect world, because all of us attorneys are so ethical, we don't do it. But certainly our firm, from our perspective, we don't do that. So we try to give this advice and recommendations, but it is super important to sit down. And if you want us to be the bad guy and ask the hard questions about the costs, we'll do that. But you need to know that. You need to talk about that. You need to understand. You need to have, make sure you have a good feel for them. Hey, we're going to take a quick commercial break so that way you can hear from our sponsors. But we'll be right back with more legal info to help you, your family, and your business right here on the BC Counselor's Legal Brief. This episode of the BC Counselor's Legal Brief is brought to you by Alfredo Robledo Certified Public Accountant, PC. Alfredo has been licensed as a certified public accountant since 1984 and is located in Grapevine, Texas. Alfredo can help with many different tax matters, ranging from filing individual and business tax returns, trust and estate filings, as well as bookkeeping services for your business. You can contact Alfredo at 817-421-0720 or find him at grapevinecpa.com. and I'm almost a teenager. I have a real problem. My daddy and my grandfather love pie. For my daddy, it's apple. For my poppy, it's anything lemon. But they won't bring me any pie. I don't think that's fair. They always go to Judy Pie on Main Street in Grapevine, where Miss Judy and her bakers make 20 different kinds of pies and cinnamon rolls on the weekend. But I don't get any. They tell me I can have pie when I'm a teenager, like pie is only for grown-ups or something. Can someone please call my daddy and my poppy and tell them I need pie? In the meantime, you can go to JudyPie.com, or if you're in Grapevine, Texas, visit Judy Pie on Main Street. And if my daddy or my poppy are there, tell them that Kaya wants a piece of pie. We're back, and you're listening to the BC Counselor's Legal Brief, the podcast providing legal info to help you, your family, and your business. Let me ask one other question. Like, Spencer, let's say we decide that we want to, Bianca and I have a trust, but after we both pass away, we want to have a corporate trustee, a local trust company. While Bianca and I are alive, managing the trust as our trustees, are we paying the corporate trustee and the bank money? Because uh, I don't want to do that. Right. And that's a very common question. The answer is no. The reason being is that trustee's not serving until you're out of the picture. And at that point, when they're actually doing work is when they will charge a fee. It's not kind of like an attorney where you just get a random bill in the mail. Right. <laughs> that, that's right. But I will say here, here's one of the problems too, though, is a lot of those corporate entities have no idea they've been appointed anyways. It's usually a surprise, which is not always like terrible. But sometimes when someone needs to jump in immediately, it'd be a good idea that they know. So 
you're not paying the corporate entity until they're actually doing something. Two follow-up questions then, and you alluded to it. Is it your recommendation then to your clients who are talking about a corporate uh, trustee? Certainly, we would meet with them beforehand so you feel comfortable, but is it your recommendation that the corporate trustee be made aware, or any trustee for that matter, be aware that they've been listed or appointed as a successor? Because remember, we're talking about the 99.9% of all of us Americans in the country, well, the 99.9% who have trusts, that it's appropriate to have a trust. Those Americans are going to be their own trustee, so they will inevitably have, whether it's corporate trustee or it's a family or a friend who's the successor, what's your recommendation on letting those trustees know and be aware of the trust, the documents, even before they serve? So a few things. I'm going to step back. Before the document's even in place, it may be a good idea to even talk to that person to see if they're willing to serve. Because I I want to reiterate this to everyone. Just because you list someone or some entity in a position doesn't mean they're required to serve. It's almost like a right of first refusal. Because we set our trust up today, 10 years down the road, say we never update it. Well, life may change for us, but we got to remember life changes for those other people that we've appointed. So they may be older, they may be dead, they may have three kids of their own and they don't have time for us. Or Spencer so. could have driven them away as right. he typically I, does. I like the arms. So I take very <laughs> serious the arm links transaction term. Yeah. I keep everybody at arm's length. No, my, don't touch me. Don't touch don't, my fingers. Don't touch me. Stay on we your side. We just touched fingers. No, we didn't. He moved. <laughs> uh, he literally dodged. I wanted to touch fingers ET style. Like, we just did. <laughs> we just did. So one, it's really good to probably talk to the people beforehand, before yeah. even appointing them to say, hey, are you even interested in this? Is, is this something you want to do? Do you have questions? And then two, if you don't do that, but you should, at a minimum, you should at least inform the individual trust, if it's an individual serving of, hey, we've got documents, here's where you can find them, should something happen to us? Because something will happen and then they'll need to take care of it. So it's not a surprise of, well, I didn't know they had documents. It's a, oh, something happened to him. We need to go there. The best thing, if it makes sense for your situation, is go ahead and give them a copy of the documents. That's not always a good choice. Like it, Technically, my dad and father-in-law are our current successor trustees for incapacity. I didn't give them the documents. I told them where they are, but they don't need to see them because what have you. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. But that's how I did it. So as for a corporate entity... I have had some corporate entities after communicating with them say, we do like to have a copy on record. So that way we just have it. We know in regards to it, what's going on. Have you ever had like a corporate trustee say you've had a conversation? Have they ever requested certain provisions or the like being included in the trust as kind of a condition to them them serving. serving? Yeah. So Mike, going back to your fiduciary term. Corporate entities want to limit that as much as possible because they don't want to be liable for the slightest little thing. And I understand that. That's what we're all in this game for is limiting liability or pushing liability onto someone else. And those corporate entities have gotten wise after probably many, many lawsuits of what they were doing they thought was right, but someone got butt hurt and sued them because they didn't get the money they thought they deserved. Okay, fine. So those corporate entities will want certain language in there. They'll also want certain language a lot of times with regards to investing because the majority of them will bring all the assets under their house, 
because a lot of them have financial institutions connected to them. So they want certain language in there to say how they can do things, which that makes sense. It's more administrative for them. But to follow up with that is if that corporate entity does get a copy, I have clients question like, well, what if I change it? I tell them, then you change it. The corporate entity is none the wiser. We can tell them, hey, you're no longer listed. You just got an outdated trust or they don't get notified. And all they do is just hold on to a copy of that trust, which is electronic, and they never know that you died, which I get some people kind of worrying about that. It's not as big of a deal because those corporate entities actually have to keep that information secure. They can't go sell your information, stuff like that. They have major, major regulations. But here's why it's very, very important to not only vet the corporate entity, but have them review your trust because you want to know how they're going to interpret the language that we drafted for them. And if they read it differently than we do, and it doesn't match what the client wants, we need to go back and rewrite it to make sure that the client's wishes are met. So knowing your trustee, what are the trustee's policies and procedures? And I think this is like the last question, and then we can, you can do your wrap-up, Spencer, because we talked about... Ir- ir- exactly, right? Oh, you meant like close yeah. the... Close the gotcha. podcast. So we talk about trustees. Trustees have an outer boundaries, these fiduciary duties, although some fiduciary trustees want to limit that a little right, bit. Yeah. But all that they can do is what the trust document says. But if the trust document's very broad, they have a lot of discretion. Correct. And they might exercise discretion that's inconsistent with what you want. So it's important to know who your trustee is. It's important to trust the trustee, know what their policies and procedures and their predilections are. The other thing is be cognizant of how responsible they are because they will have access to funds. Yeah. You don't want them using them. You don't want them wasting them. Right. It would might be nice to also separate personal feelings and make it a business decision on the one end and then a personal family relationship on another end. That's why I equate the trustee as the banker. Because how many of us, and I know some people do because they've got family members that are financial advisors that they use and all of that, but that's very, you know, few and far between. But how often do we let family control our money while we're alive? Not very often. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're not willing to do that today, then maybe it makes sense to not do that when you're gone. That's right. Now, it may also because your brother's really good with money and is a multimillionaire because they were smart with money. Great. Okay. That person might make sense. But like you said, you got, what was it, Uncle Steve? Yeah. Uncle Steve, who's, you know, he's, he, he's in Vegas every other he's weekend. He's like, up, man. He comes to Thanksgiving every other year because the year he's there, he, he causes you, problems. Did and, you yeah. see the chick he was with at the last Thanksgiving? She was oh. very pretty. Gorgeous. He must have won a lot of money that year. Yeah, my trust oh, money. Oh, that's right. Your you trust remember? money. He's like, hey, sweet thing, I got a trust. It's my nephew's trust, but I got a trust. Yeah, yeah. I'm still pissed at Steve. Don't let Steve manage your kid's trust. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. You're right. right. It's a case by case, but that's, that's why exactly understanding right. who they are. But here's the question. You name somebody and you alluded to this. So this is the last question. You alluded to the fact that we can't force people to serve. Right. So what happens if we do name someone? Let's say a client names, we'll use an institution. They name the institution. Right. Nobody's getting paid. Yeah. Maybe fees have changed. Right. And services and... Whatever. So there are two related questions. What if the trustee does not want to serve? And then two, what if facts have changed and now trustee fees are ludicrous expensive? Or trustee's not a good fit anymore. Not a good fit, yeah. And 
let's say it's not a good idea to have a trustee that was named at that time, or the trustee doesn't want to serve. So I can answer that in the same way. When I'm dealing with clients, and I know you do the same thing, so whether when we're dealing with clients, we don't just take one trustee, like a successor trustee. We want to list multiple, but sometimes people only have one that they're comfortable with at the time, and okay, that's fine. Whether you list one or 100, we always include this in our trust that Mike and I do for clients is that beneficiaries have the ability to appoint a vacancy or remove a trustee with or without cause. But here's the catch that that beneficiary has. They don't get to just go appoint Uncle Steve. They have to appoint, and this is what we really limited to this. You can be a little bit more broad, but we don't like it. We like to limit it that when they appoint a new trustee, it has to either be an attorney, a CPA, or a corporate entity that is disinterested from that beneficiary. Independence. We want want professionals who are independent. And the reason we do that is, and I won't say we do that every time because there's some people that want a little bit more flexibility on that. That's great. Fine. But I like the idea of putting that responsibility on an attorney, a CPA, or an entity for the fact that they have licenses. And their licenses are on the line on if they screw things up. So they have this extra obligation of going, boy, if I screw this up, I could be in more trouble than just being fired. I could lose my license if I was really grossly negligent and things of that nature. So I like that. But it also makes it really good for the fact of if you list a bunch of individuals and say you never list a corporate entity, well, what are the beneficiaries allowed to do? If you don't have that language in there, on the beneficiaries being able to appoint a trustee, they got to go to court. And that's a waste of money and time. And a lot of older trusts were written that way where there was no backup provision of who could appoint if there's a vacancy. So that's very, very common these days. I'm not saying Mike and I are the only ones that do that. Yeah. But you'll see that a lot. And that's for good reason. So the takeaway is think about this sort of flexibility and be thinking about this possibility that a trustee might not serve and you might not have a successor. How can that that come into play? There's another concept. Trust advisor is another concept and that person or entity could come in and help appoint. That's for a different different conversation. conversation. I hope this has been helpful to folks thinking about trustees. They're very important. Telling them that they're going to be a trustee is important like bringing them into that process a little bit is important. And then having some flexibility if circumstances change down the road is important. And remember, again, 99.9% of the Americans doing their state plans, these are your will replacements, these trusts. And so you need to be thinking about it every five years, maybe. I say every three to five years. Big big events. The thing is this, be thinking about these issues, have them at least in your mind. And if things change, these are easy updates that can be changed, but allow mechanisms to give you that flexibility. And it sounds like Spencer, you're an expert, Spencer. I would highly recommend everybody listening to this to work with Spencer. He's an incredible estate planning attorney. He doesn't have a beard like I have, but... You know, we all can't be perfect. That's true. But I strive to be like you. Thank you, Spencer. You want to take us away? Absolutely. You always have something like really profound to say. I don't don't at this time. So go 2023. Yeah, just 
keep on keeping on. That's exactly as right. they say. Life's a garden, dig it. Nobody has ever said that. Joe Dirt has, so you watch your mouth. That's the dumbest thing I've heard. It's Spencer. a great movie. I do like I, it. I went as Joe Dirt for Halloween many a times. Mullet wig, cut off jean shorts. Did you wear the jean shorts, Pierre? Yeah. Yeah, that's what he was waving yeah. at. For everybody, <laughs> Pierre was waving when Spencer yeah. was talking about the jean shorts. And now he's trying to pretend he was waving at a person. But this person didn't know who yeah. the hell Pierre was. Yeah. In fact, this person, you should have seen the look on this person's face. Like, what? Yeah. Who is that? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's the jean shorts. It, the jorts. Yeah. Yeah. I can uh, imagine I, Pierre in really tight Cut like, off, like, cut off jorts. jorts. Yeah. Tight, though. Tight jorts. Yeah. It's, that, it's that Southern Cal thing. Yeah. It's that yeah. Southern Cal thing. It is. You know. Okay, yep. Spencer, we got to right. do another podcast. All right. Thank you, Spencer, for your time. Absolutely. And that brings us to the end of another show. For more information on today's topic or previous show topics, please visit our website at www.bccounselorsatlaw.com. While there feel free to let us know what future show topics you'd like for us to cover. On behalf of Spencer, this is Mike, and we thank you for listening. And remember, it's always our goal to provide easy-to-understand legal info to help you, your family, and your business here on the BC Counselor's Legal Brief.